0: your next game is going to be undeniably connecting, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how can we develop stronger relationships between our character and each other member of the party? And how easy could it really be to develop a dynamic between two characters right off the bat? And what mechanic could we adjust a little bit to encourage teamwork? (laughs) Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. We're just going to we're just going to add a little tiny <laughs> tweak, just a little bit. I really don't like mangling the rules for my own satisfaction too much. Because <laughs> when I go down that trail, it goes very wide and deep. <laughs> well, Jordan sat down and he thinks that he's come up with a simple approach that anyone can do with another player at the table that simply and effortlessly creates a dynamic between characters that they can play off of one another and kind of help avoid like shitty character dynamics. So I'm interested to see if he's right. You doubt me? Yes, I do. It's just that brotherly thing is that we want to make sure. I I always want to just see if I can jab you one way or another. (laughs) Well, we've all seen those players that just come together seamlessly. Everyone's wondering why their characters are just bouncing off of each other so well. And This episode is kind of building on the last one, and they're both answering the question of why. Yeah. The alternative, of course, is, and again, Jordan and I have seen this a lot, and I'm sure you have too, which is players at the table that have been adventuring together for years, but they don't really interact with one another outside of having fought a couple of demons together. Like, this is the equivalent of a heist party that's going to backstab each other because nobody really gives a shit. Versus the Lord of the Rings and a fellowship of adventurers, they don't feel connected. They don't feel like they care about one another or have a dynamic necessarily. Yeah, a satisfying adventuring party has every character giving a shit about every other character. In one way or another, and I'm sure you've probably seen this before as well, but have you ever had a companion in the party just wordlessly die where the entire party just moved on they were like well that person's down take what's in their backpack and uh (laughs) let's keep moving loot their ass and off (laughs) we go and that's because we don't take the time to build characters out uh we don't take the time to necessarily build a relationship between myself and another player at the very least let alone the rest of the players and their characters in the party. And when you do build it up, players are able to banter. You know where everyone stands. And to me, getting into the role play in this way makes the combat so much more satisfying because everything you do has some stakes to it. The characters feel more alive when we put a little bit of effort into how they collaborate and how they work together. Yeah. And I just want to point out that Screwing this up is easy and natural and I've done it dozens of times because when I started playing DD, building characters, all my focus is on my character because I just built them. They're super cool and they should be the center of your attention. <laughs> Not only the center of mine, your world should revolve around them too. Yeah, in a party of six, this comes across as every single person is that person at the cocktail party that's trying to pitch you on their timeshare. Yeah. <laughs> or their multi-level marketing <laughs> thing where I like, nobody's listening to one another. They're all just talking about themselves and how much you should like them. Yeah. All having their own conversations. Yeah. So we want to try to avoid that. Jordan thinks he's found a way. Let's see if he's right in the strategy stateroom where we're going to talk about some of the structure that he's created here. And then we're going to go off to Morden's Forge for another idea to encourage Team building, and it's not one of those greasy team building things that you have to do at work. Team building exercise 99. (laughs) This came from the handbook. (laughs) Anyway, off to the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, Travis, it's not that complicated. It's not a bunch of rigorous (laughs) steps, okay? How many steps? Three. Okay, I was going to say it better be three or under, but... Yeah, I did it. So you're sitting there with your character and you're trying to figure out how they interact with one other character. The first step is determine your relationship role with that character. The second step is establishing the dynamics within that role. And the third step is creating some conflict and some harmony. Hmm. All right. Sounds simple enough. Let's try, just because I want to see if I can trip you up. Let's try and use actual characters as we go through this. Ah, yes, the lifeblood of dungeons and dragons. Your system gets a trial by fire. Absolutely. So let's use the characters that we most recently played. All right, so you were a goblin? Yes, I was playing Gadarm, a goblin- druid slash healer who became obsessed with spores and didn't fit in at home so he left to make his own way in the world all right and i played buddy a retired farmer who had a simple life but his grandkids found a crystal that turned him into a sorcerer (laughs) as you do so he had to come out of retirement to provide for his struggling family with his new powers but he really just wanted to hang out retired so following our own system, we've applied traits to these characters? Yes. And to be honest, we had to create these characters. We've only played these characters once. I've played Ghadarm maybe three times, like for three full sessions. So these are brand new characters to us. We played them because we needed characters last minute when we had a, a random session where the GM Tim joined us. Travis, you're right. These characters are fresh off the dome. And here's what I came up with for the traits. Focused, fastidious, instructive, dishonest, and cantankerous. All right. Uh, Well, I created a few for mine. Courageous. This is a courageous little goblin. Uh, He's very decisive. He's uninhibited, unpolished, and very hedonistic. Excellent. (laughs) All right. So if we start with What we talked about in our last episode, which is figuring out the tropes that they fall into. When you've just got two to start with, we talked about the teams of two tropes. So what if we did the action duo for this one? Because as a refresher, the action hero is usually physically impressive, confident, performs incredible feats, and the action survivor is physically unimpressive, more agile, avoids danger rather than confronting it. Okay, so that would make... Your farmer, the action hero, and me, the action survivor. Well, I think your confident little goblin would fall better into that role of action hero. Okay, so we're kind of turning it on its head a little bit. He's not physically impressive. Well, I don't know, maybe he could be. (laughs) Yeah, stout little. He's definitely confident. He has that. Yeah. And he performs incredible feats. Okay. Uninhibited, so he kind of just like does his own thing. All right. Yeah, I like it. Whereas Buddy is, you know, he's an older guy. He's not really up to his uh, old farmer strength. He wants to avoid danger. That's right, because he's kind of a reluctant adventurer. Like he doesn't. Want to be out there adventuring, he'd rather be farming. (laughs) (laughs) He was retired, but his family said, Well, we need the extra money, so (laughs) use your sorcerer powers to get out there, (laughs) which he gained late in life. (laughs) Yeah, so strange. Yeah, but but he's going to be the one that's always trying to pull Ged back from the foolish things that he does. So, an example of the action duo is Woody and Buzz from Toy Story, but what you're suggesting would make Gadarm Buzz. Yeah, he's the buzz of the duo. It's a little bit detached. (laughs) A little wild. Goes for it. Has more confidence than he really should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I can definitely do that. But he's the one that's just trying to keep everyone alive. Okay, so we've talked about all of this already. Yeah. So let's get on to this new system that you're proposing here. The new stuff. Keep listening, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so determining your relationship role is that first step. Which is just really figuring out how you know each other. And I don't know how many times I just haven't even done this. But yeah, just a starting point. So it just comes from one single descriptor of the relationship. Typically, you're asked to create a character and then show up at the table with a character. You're not asked to create two characters or figure out character relationships before jumping into a game. Totally. And I think this is one of the superpowers of the Session Zero Before you get real deep into your own character's history and story. This can be worked into that session zero, I think, effortlessly. Yeah. So you're simply suggesting, like, just figure out what, like, what are some of the examples of this relationship role? Well, there's surprisingly few. So the categories are family, friends, rivals, romantic, and shared space. Okay. So family is just there's some interesting things that come to mind right away as soon as you define that relationship. So let's say it's a parent child relationship. You kind of know where to take that based on that alone. Have you ever played in a game where somebody at the table is somebody else's parent? I guess we have, haven't we? Who was it? Well, we had a a player in our game who played a 10 year old. Oh, yeah, true. Kind of another player at the table became their adoptive parent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And tried to like over-parent them, and this kid was not having any of it. And then another character stepped in to be the contrast to that parenting style. <laughs> to be the loose do whatever you want. Okay. That dynamic worked really well. You had the two conflicting parental figures, and that was pretty funny. There's the obvious one of siblings. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been listening to us for long (laughs) enough. You know how Jordan and I interact. So, yeah, just play that up. That can be taken in so many directions that are really identifiable, like the siblings that work together really well or the siblings that are always at each other's throats. Perfect. And there's a lot of other fun possibilities, but they really just build off the elements of either a parent-child or some kind of equals, whether it be grandparent-grandchild. You could do a weird aunt our uncle situation <laughs> that yeah that detached uncle that's just out to lunch yeah i like that his get arm my weird detached uncle <laughs> god i hope not the far traveler of the group could be you know that cousin that you have to explain the behavior of to others <laughs> good times yeah, that, that adds so much to just the Far Traveler is that you've got somebody else to play off that strange behavior. If you're playing Far Traveler as your background, as your character background, you're you're making all of these weird leaps and you're looking at like mundane foods and going, oh, this is exotic and interesting. And just to have somebody else there to back up some of these ideas and role play, they're going to land so much better Yeah, when you've got a collaborator that's gonna work with you on that kind of stuff and be interested in explaining that to the world. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Okay, so the next one is friends, which I mean, it's pretty easy to imagine this one, and there's all kinds of directions you can take it. But to get into some weirder territory, you could always consider frenemies. That's fun. <laughs> that's great. I love a good frenemy relationship, Maybe. I have a few of them. <laughs> maybe even uh you know an imaginary friend okay wait what <laughs> how exactly is one person going to play an imaginary friend great question moving on <laughs> <laughs> don't consider the mechanics not all of my ideas are gold all right all right what else you've got uh, you had a couple more rivals the most important to consider with this one is to have a reason for that rivalry. Did you compete for a goal at some point? A tournament? To put a bit of a twist on it, are you publicly rivals, but actually friends? Ooh, that's interesting. I could get behind that. Yeah. Like even publicly to your party? You want them to think you're rivals? Yeah, like I immediately think of that episode of The Simpsons <laughs> where the the two aliens came down, Krang and Kodos, Yeah, and they, they were playing the two rival presidents... And they're like walking around holding the hands. And it's just like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. And you could play that up all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. That leads right into the romantic. You could have frenemies that are actually romantic partners in the game. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like the Romeo and Juliet situation where there's a reason they shouldn't be together socially, but they're like, (laughs) (laughs) that'd be good. I love that idea. And don't forget the inverse where you're publicly friends, but secretly rivals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely play that up too. Always like cursing at each other behind people's backs, (laughs) but like, (laughs) hey, pal. No, no. Trying to literally kill one another, like (laughs) constantly poisoning one another and like doing underhanded things. But like it never quite works out. Yeah. That could be a ton of fun <laughs> throwing banana peels in front of cliffs, especially when like the characters hate each other and are trying to kill each other. But the players know what's going on, and it's it's a very different dynamic than say the rogue actually like backstabbing people in the group. This carries the same level of entertainment. But doesn't piss anybody off because the two players are in on it together. They're just playing it up for the lols. Yeah, don't make this a one-sided thing. Don't make the decision for another player at the table (laughs) on their behalf. By the way, I secretly hate you. (laughs) But one of the most interesting, I think, is the shared space because you've got so much to build on from there. You can go in a friendship or rival direction from a place where you just knew each other. So what I mean by that is like, you could be an employer and an employee, like you just have existed together and now you need to adventure. Yeah. There's some reason why you're still intrinsically tied to one another. Yeah. And I think this kind of fits in with what we're kind of going for in this, because I can't really see any of these other ones really applying to our two characters, one who's a goblin and... I think your character is a human, am I right? Yeah. So we could either start as friends or we could start as something like this. We did talk about how Gudarm has left his home and needs somewhere to live. So I wonder if that's the, the it's kind of like a landlord tenant relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that could be good. Where Buddy was trying to make a little extra money before he left. So he put up some of the rundown structures on his <laughs> property for rent, but nobody rented them. <laughs> yeah, because when somebody showed up to see... The rental space, and you pointed towards the doghouse. <laughs> uh, they, they saw through your little ruse, but Gadarm is the only one who's like, that looks great. Yeah, <laughs> nice digs. There's all kinds of those shared space relationships that you can pull on from real life. So, next, you want to establish your role dynamics. And this is simply a descriptor in front of that role, just to give you more direction for how to role play it. Okay, so yeah, let's go through some examples. I see it as helpful to start from like a positive or a negative place and you know take it in the other direction through role play or take it deeper in that direction. Because again, even as like the landlord tenant that we've established, that could have a very positive, best friendy kind of vibe. It could yeah. have a negative one. If we were playing cousins, the same thing would apply. Like we were talking about with the siblings. Like you could be very competitive spiteful siblings or you could be really joyful siblings so i like that like just determine whether it's a positive or a negative descriptor yeah and just to spark your creativity you could be loving supportive nurturing motivating mentoring i like the mentoring like uh, sorry to stop you i know you've got some more i've got 655 more okay easy we do not have the time But I like the mentoring idea. So your character is a sorcerer. I wonder if Gudarm realizes that sorcerer's powers are innate within them. <laughs> I'm enjoying this idea. Okay, it's forming. Here it comes. Uh, Gudarm is paying Buddy to teach him more magic because his, his magical ability is kind of innate as well. Like he's a, he's a healer. He's a druid that's learned probably from like other goblins in his community, right? Well, yeah. And like, it's not magical to him. Okay. He would just see like growing spores and using those to heal people yeah. as like a, a normal, Is natural that- thing. But he's wanting you to teach him magic. Is Buddy so underhanded <laughs> that he would charge gadarm money because he doesn't really care about money and take the money for lessons on how to teach magic even though your character can't either yeah he's pre- he lies a lot and his only goal is really to get enough money for his families to let him retire again <laughs> so i like how selfish this character of yours is becoming yeah it's pretty good even though he doesn't know how to cast his own magic very well <laughs> he's figuring it out as he goes but he's also lying and making lessons about it very good <laughs> So what are some of the other positive ones that you've got? Uh, It could be like a comforting and safe relationship, just reliable. It could be fun. I don't actually have 655. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, we get the idea, I think. You can have critical or competitive, neglectful or controlling. It can be really one sided. You can be super antagonistic with each other. You'd be codependent on each other. There's a lot of these that are kind of like jumping out at me for these two characters. I like the one sided like we've already determined that it's a little bit one sided. Yeah. Get Arms just giving you money. And that's the only reason you probably are keeping this disgusting goblin hanging around. Yeah, he's useful in certain situations. And I can we can split the loot and then I take his loot. <laughs> Just slowly get the rest of the money out of him. Yeah. That's very good. Finding every which way that he can possibly charge Godarm for things like rations. He's overcharging him for stuff to eat, yeah. stuff to drink. If you want to walk within 10 feet of me as we travel, then that's, at, that's a <laughs> surcharge. And <laughs> I'm just like, this is the way the world works. <laughs> I love this. This is so good. But I can see my character also being like secretly nice, like he puts on a very grumpy face. But, you know, when Ged needs stuff. Yeah. He <laughs> makes sure he has it. Well, you wouldn't want your cash cow to go away. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is very good. I like this. So, yeah, determining those positive or negative kind of descriptors of that relationship is a great next step. What's your final one? You said uh, conflict and harmony. Yeah. So for this one, you just want to think about what do the characters share and what do they conflict on? And this can be just about anything, but some good jumping off points are like, what strengths do they share that they kind of respect each other for? Okay, nothing's really tweaking in my head yet weaknesses okay fears that's not bad could be something there for our characters beliefs or values i mean that's i think that's going to be something that they conflict on maybe really powerfully that we can play up yeah like what what does ged believe about how the world works in the afterlife versus what buddy does (laughs) i i definitely think that's the that's the conflicting point just because ged is is a spores druid so he's all about like natural decay and things like that. And if your farmer salt of the earth kind of guy is maybe a little bit religious in some way. Maybe and even kind of like materialistic. This journey for him is all about getting out of money for him to just support his family. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then Gadarm is a lot more uh, detached, non-materialistic. Yeah. Focused on what he can get right from the earth rather than. Hedonistic as we've established. So that's that's pretty good. I like that. And actually, that could almost be a different point that they are on the same side of, is my character is a farmer. He recognizes the need for money and all of that, but he also does have some respect for what the earth can give. Ah, all right. So they could have little moments of harmonious yeah. content. I and, like that. And as you cast your druid spells, sometimes I could even, you know, be like, okay, I get him a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a little. So we've got a place that we can grow
1: as yeah. characters.
0: Some other prompts for you are morality, motivations, secrets. That's always a really powerful thing to figure out if they share. Yeah, your character could have certain expectations of what the party is there to do. And what I really like about that is that let's say you're creating a character, often trying to drive the story in a particular direction is really hard as one. But what if you joined forces as two? Yeah. We have got to defeat this tyrant or something like that. Even when somebody else in the party decides that they want to try and go a different direction, your two characters are harmonious in the desire for a particular goal. Yeah. And as a DM for these two characters, you can focus on the thing that they share and then introduce an antagonist that is working against nature. Yeah, so gives a lot, and this is why you should definitely share this information if you use it with your DM and let Jordan and I know how it helped. Absolutely, I've got a few other questions here that you don't have to answer these all upfront necessarily, but I think it's just kind of helpful to give the characters a more human perspective as you play with things like what of theirs are you jealous of, whether it be an ability or an item or something. Yeah, what do you turn to them for advice about? Interesting. Yeah. Am I going to actually ask you about some herbalist stuff once in a while? I could very easily see Ged sheepishly asking how to behave in certain social situations. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be really good. What do you respect about them? We touched on that one a little bit, but if you continue to kind of percolate on that, things will come up. I like where you're going with some of these. They're all great questions to really sit and think about. And maybe just one connects. Yeah, maybe just answer one every session, just as like a prompt for getting into the characters. That's a great idea. We need more questions to ask, but yeah. Yeah. It's not too crazy difficult to come up with questions as you go, but like, what rubs you the wrong way about them? What do you think is terrible about them? What would you lord over them if you were that kind of character? (laughs) If you were a (laughs) shitbag. And I found one more really good prompt for this, uh, which is, what does your character want emotionally? from another character. Ooh, now we're getting deep. Yeah, this is getting kind of heavy. But like, if it's that respectful mentor-mentee relationship, which ours is not, do they seek approval for things? Maybe Ged is. Maybe Ged's constantly looking to my character for approval. This to me is even more powerful than some of the previous questions because this forces some kind of role play. This really pushes me to consider What do I need from your character that is beyond just material kind of things or like cop out statements like I need them to help me survive in this dangerous campaign? Yeah, it's it's deeper. It's more meaningful. Again, it helps us address the problems that we started off with in the very beginning of all of this, which is how do I make sure that my character cares enough that when your character is in dire straits or in some serious conflict? that get is going to be there to help because they do not want all of the work that they put into that relationship to go away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes those questions of what to do so much more meaningful. So how do we structure this rather than just jotting all of these down on a piece of scrap paper (laughs) that maddens you the next time you look at it that kind or completely disappears? Yeah. That I fold up and stick in a sock for later. It becomes one of those session notes that is absolutely indecipherable the next time you look at it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like you were in some kind of fugue state when you wrote it. (laughs) Like you were completely having it out of body and you were just like free writing. You need to take this to a psychological professional to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please decipher my session notes? I need to know what this means. So yeah, how 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 do we structure this so it makes sense? Well, it all boils down to a single sentence you can write down, which is they have a blank blank defined by their shared blank and they're conflicting blank. <laughs> okay. So they have a a descriptor yep. is the first blank, uh and then the relationship. So like a landlord tenant yeah. relationship defined by their shared respect for nature. Okay, yeah. And their conflicting beliefs, morality. We, we kind of talked about a few different ideas there. Yeah. Well, we also established, like we could say, their conflicting decorum in the world yeah. because Gadarm is hedonistic and gross and your farmer just wants to survive <laughs> and just be chill. Yeah, their conflicting value they place on money. They've got a lot of things to play off in the conflict zone. So. I think we have more than enough conflict. Yeah, There well, you go. You've solved my blank puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really do think that helps quite a bit. Thanks for doing all the hard work and thinking your way through that, Jordan. Hey, my pleasure. I feel like we got some good <laughs> characters now. And I feel like we'll be able to come to this much faster in the future, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. If you want the bones of this... It's going to be obviously available in the show notes, um, and you can find it on our website. Or you can ask us directly on our Discord or something, you know? Wow, that sure would be nice. We would love to hear from you. So let's go to Morden's Forge to talk about teamwork. This is Morden's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons for the most incredible of quests. You've been kind of obsessed with encouraging teamwork and party cohesion (laughs) for the last like four weeks. Yeah, it makes the dream work, (laughs) as they say about teamwork. Yes. So in thinking about this, I kept wondering how a DM could encourage teamwork with either a tweak in the rules or a tweak in how they talk about role playing. And what I settled on was working on the concept of trust. Yeah, you better take it easy on adding any optional rules into the game. Apparently, the community doesn't like optional rules. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) I say the majority do. (laughs) Okay, so what what have you created? Well, I kept struggling with how to encourage teamwork. And I saw a lot of other ideas that people have come up with. And a lot of them are pretty good. You've got things like, Having a group pool of inspiration that you can all draw from. Kind of cool. You've got the help action, which we talked about in the last episode. And you've even got things like combo moves that are very cool. And I was thinking about trying to come up with some rules for that. But they can kind of be educated on an individual basis with a little bit of creativity. You can do really fun stuff there. Yeah. So then it came to trust. And trust can be role played. But is there a way to actually stimulate the characters trusting each other? Interesting. I'm curious where you're going with this. So let me first introduce the idea of trust that I was working from. Letting someone in on your vulnerabilities or allowing them to make you vulnerable. That's what trust is. And why I settled on what I did is because if you're playing with another player that has that mindset of this is what my character would do, (laughs) which is a very (laughs) common phrase used to explain away shitty behavior yeah okay and and at a certain point the whole rest of the party is kind of questioning like why are we traveling with this person and trusting them (laughs) in combat like (laughs) this person literally keeps stealing from me yeah everything has been going missing and the only person who hasn't had things go missing is the rogue or this person doesn't actually help us in combat. They're busy doing their own thing. Or Oh, that one. So many things. That one pisses me off. <laughs> We're in a life or death scenario and you're looting. Yeah. So how do you fix this? <laughs> okay. So stick with me for a moment here. I came up with the idea of trust points. Okay. So my character assigns his trust points to your character. Okay. On a minus five to a plus five scale. All right. So zero is nothing. And these can be given or taken away anytime outside of combat. Interesting. Okay. The first function is the positive side of the scale. So social trust. So if I give you a positive trust point, that means that you have a plus one applied to all of your charisma skill checks aimed at me. All right. So to put this into practice, Gadarm has one positive trust point. Yeah. With Buddy. Yeah. And... Let's say I'm trying to convince you to go into the dark, scary cave. Exactly. Now you're going to have a plus one to that persuade check that I can play off of. The more I continue to win your trust, and let me get this straight, you can give me trust? Yes. All right. You can't take my trust. I'm giving you the trust points. Okay. So you keep giving me a pool of trust points, at which point I get a plus five at max To persuade you to go into the cave. Because that represents buddy really trusting Ged. All right. I could go with this. I can convince you to do a lot of crazy (laughs) shit. But let's just say I screw everything up in the cave. I might lose a trust point. You would take one back. Exactly. Cool. And that can go all the way down to negative five. I can take away your trust points, (laughs) meaning that Ged has no chance at getting me to do what I don't want to do. Very cool. I like that. Which I think really represents some of the relationships I, Jordan, have had in life. Like when a person breaks your trust, you stop listening to what they say in a serious way. That's so good. And I think part of it is that, you know, for the longest time, we really haven't had any reason to use, say, charisma-based checks like persuasion or intimidation on another member of the party. But some people still try to, and sometimes they even get away with it. So this allows us to do that and actually have it be something that kind of almost transcends the game, like you're coming out of it (laughs) to where you're like, hey, I trust how you're role playing your character. I'm going to give you these trust points to influence my character when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. That's really neat. So the second function happens in combat situations. So the idea of this one is when we're in combat, when Ged really needs help in a situation, but we're both totally wrapped up in the combat, Ged can take advantage on an attack roll that he's making. So the narrative description of this is Ged and Buddy are in combat together and they're both totally focused. Ged gets into a tough spot and he needs to get advantage on whatever he's doing in that situation. So he calls Buddy for aid and Buddy sacrifices the attention that he's focusing on an enemy to focus on what Ged's doing. Okay. Follow so far? Yep, yep. Similar to the help action. Yeah, thematically it's similar to the help action. Okay. But how this actually plays out is on that turn, Ged can take advantage on an attack roll or impose disadvantage on a saving throw if it's that type of ability. On that same turn, enemies take advantage against Buddy because Buddy's sacrificing his attention to pay attention to Ged. That's quite a sacrifice. Yeah, that's trust. That's Buddy trusting Ged so much that when Ged says help, I turn and help because I know that Ged wouldn't put me in more risk than I needed to be in. So how does that then differ from, say, using the help action? Because what you're describing puts your character at a disadvantage whenever I need advantage. So you could just use the help action. I could, but that means that I have to wait for my turn and I have to take my action to help you. This is an instant thing where Ged just decides to use a help point of mine to get advantage and whoever attacks me next gets advantage. And you don't sacrifice any of your turn. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. All right. Interesting. And I actually burn that trust point in doing so. Yeah, kind of a long rest situation. So yeah, or a re-earn. And then if you go to the negative side of that, but he stops trusting Ged, that means that the closer I am to him in combat, the less comfortable I am because I trust him so little. So the way that plays out is if I've given you a negative trust point, then I need to stay 10 feet away or I'm taking disadvantage on my attack rolls and saving throws. Oh, wow. I know it's severe, but consider this. That's gonna encourage if we're actually in the, on this together and we're both enjoying this, then Ged does something stupid. I take away a trust point. It makes kind of for an interesting combat. But if you're in a party that you've got that one player that's playing a real stinker <laughs> that again is doing all that stuff that we talked about. All right. Every other player at that table can start giving them negative trust points for the selfish stuff they do in character. And all of a sudden, you've got one character that nobody wants to be near in combat. That person is an island. (laughs) They're fighting on their own. They're surviving on their own. Because that's what you've decided to do as what your character would do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I'm curious to see how this plays out. We should start instituting this in our game post haste. And see how our players start to react to these really interesting mechanics, and I hope it's not too complicated and thanks for pointing out that we don't play test stuff sometimes, Travis <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a great idea, and I'm excited to try it out um of course we'll we'll build this into some kind of mechanic uh page that you can print off to reference um once we're once we get a chance to really dive into this, but i don't I don't really see a negative this is like a A separate rule set to everything else. It's just a really great way of rewarding or punishing players for their actions. Yeah, in character, in roleplay. All right, and we do have someone else that thinks what we're doing is pretty neat. (laughs) So let me read what they said. I was introduced to Hook and Chance through a post on some D&D sub and decided to give it a listen. This could go either way so far. First off, I'm an audiophile and tend to be obnoxiously picky with my podcasts. If a pod has interference or plosives or subpar editing, I generally back away. I still could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I'm waiting. This pod is professional grade. Yay, we we did it. Yay! The content, the presentation, the succinctness, it's all just so good. Stop. Somehow you know exactly what I, and I think a large portion of the community... Wanted slash needed in an informative D&D podcast. It's so approachable and I think it fits perfectly in a content gap we didn't know existed. I appreciate the effort and impatiently look forward to more. From Tominator10. Well, thank you very much, Tominator. I'm going to resist the urge to add a whole bunch of plosives right now. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there's just a plosive cast out there. I wonder what kind of weird self-destructive bent i have in me whenever we yeah. get nice compliments i'm just like well i'll show you <laughs> we're not that good <laughs> well thank you It it is very nice uh of course we do struggle taking all of the wonderful compliments um because you know we're just trying to put on as good a show as we can and to be as helpful to the community as we can but honestly all of this feedback it helps so much Imposter syndrome certainly does crop up (laughs) frequently. (laughs) And thank you for showing up for each one of these episodes. It's so wonderful. It's so cool to keep building a community and to see it continue to grow. And thank you for sticking with us every episode, because the more you get involved, the more excited we get. And the more we can learn from you, the better our games become as well. So keep reaching out to us. We want to be a part of your games and your world that you're creating with your friends. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join our little community of players and DMs by joining our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and keep and your timeshare to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I want two weeks in the off season in Mexico. <laughs> That's worth it.